Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Georgina Skull about her narrative non-fiction book, Regrets of the Dying. Georgina is a writer and developer of original radio drama, film and podcasts. She's been a finalist for various awards, including the Orange Prize for screenwriting. In this episode, we discuss how a near-death experience inspired her book writing a non-fiction proposal, and her advice for writing sensitively about real people. But first, here's Georgina with an excerpt from Regrets of the Dying. Staying in an unhappy relationship. Kathy. Romance was everywhere that summer. Diana had just become a princess, and love was only in the air. It was on every TV screen in the world. The prospect of finding the one felt obvious then, inevitable even. It was 1981, and two months after the world had watched Charles and Di tie the knot, it was Cathy's turn. She would stand in a sunny little church in the middle of Canada and say, I do, in front of 50 family and friends, her three-year-old son as ring-bearer. Cathy is tall and slim, with a bob of salt-and-pepper hair. She describes herself as a naive person, someone raised in a deeply religious family who trusts what people tell her. She is also a helper, a mother, a teacher for most of her life, and a volunteer now that the door to work has been closed by age. We spoke on the phone, her voice thoughtful and patient. She repeated my name throughout our talk, connecting us across continents. I got the feeling that the children she taught were a very lucky bunch. I imagined them sitting in front of her, legs crossed, eager and ready. I found Cathy on an online forum about divorce after 60. Her post was very clear, with one particular phrase I couldn't quite forget. My only regret is I did not get out sooner. In the West, over 50% of marriages end in divorce, but few last as long as Cathy's. It was her second, so it was low-key, a wedding dress replaced with a pantsuit. She can't remember what music they chose for their first dance. She just remembers how she wanted to share her life with someone, to be in a partnership, and to be part of something good. Hi Georgina, welcome to the podcast. I'm really pleased to have you on with me today to talk about your narrative non-fiction book, Regrets of the Dying. Hi Chloe, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. So can you start us off by giving us an outline about what the uh, book's about? 
basically it's a, a collection of uh, 21 stories from around the world or from the perspective of people who are either the, over the age of 70 or are terminally ill. So it's talking about the regrets and all the things in life that led up to those regrets. So in the book, you've described your kind of your reasoning behind the book, where the idea came from and what led you to interview these people. But for the benefit of the podcast listeners who maybe don't know, can you explain where the idea came from to interview these people who were either dying from an illness or were near the end of their life? About 10 years ago, I I had my own kind of near-death experience. I was 37. I was pregnant. I'd been trying for years to get pregnant. I had an ectopic, which ruptured. And when I pulled through, the doctor said I was about five minutes away from death, basically. If I'd turned up to the hospital five minutes later, I wouldn't be here. And it was just very sobering. And it kind of shook me. I think the problem was, is it didn't really shake me. It really shook me, but it didn't, maybe didn't shake me enough. I don't know. It's, I just, it started a drift, basically. Mm. Uh, my daughter was 18 months old. So I kind of was thinking, God, if, if I had died, she wouldn't really know me now. And was like, what am I doing with my life? And it kind of threw up all these different questions about, you know, how I was spending my time. And, but instead of kind of going into action, I kind of just retreated into myself. And I did that for many years and I kept on trying to do lots of different things to shake myself out of it, but none of it really worked. Therapy and sports and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I thought if I don't have the answer in myself, I'll go and look for it outside. And that's what I did. I started uh, contacting people very nervously to see if they wanted to talk to me. And generally people did want to talk. They were very, very ready to talk. So it was a, an incredible experience to be honest mm. and it's I think it's strange because like we're having this conversation now you're interviewing me in a way and and it's a two more of a two-way street but when I was doing these interviews I basically found myself sitting in people's living rooms with a list of questions not really looking at the list at all and them just talking it was not mm. like it was like a listening project really it was just like just taking what they were telling me and um and hopefully passing that on to people who need it like I needed it yeah they're very intimate conversations and like you said you you went around people's houses you got them to pick you up from the station obviously <laughs> that that breaks down the barrier doesn't it so they they allowed them to be I think I imagine it must have been um that must have been part of your kind of technique because if you were just I say doing a zoom with someone it's not it's not quite the same level of intimacy as if when you're carrying out these quite deep conversations yeah, it was interesting because COVID hit near the end of my the, the conversations I was having with people. So most of the early ones were in person and some of them had to be um, over the telephone. For instance, a couple of people from Canada. Mm. Sometimes people were too ill to talk for long periods of time. Um, one guy I interviewed called Alan, who's actually become one of my best friends. Strangely, he's really lovely. He's got brain cancer. He, he basically... Um, he finds it really hard to kind of keep a train of thought after a certain amount of minutes. He's incredibly bright, but he has to write everything down after a certain point. So instead, every day we'd email each other back and forth. We became pen pals, really, in a way. <laughs> so it's like each story had to be almost captured in a different way, depending on what mm. was going on. But those moments where I sat in people's living rooms, which was the majority of the interviews, were really special. Although I didn't ask... Um, a Heather to come and pick me up from the station she definitely offered <laughs> she offered, <laughs> she offered yeah <laughs> so I'm interested to know because you 
you did a podcast first before you wrote the book I so did. was the book um because obviously when you write non-fiction you have to the process is slightly different so did the the kind of the pitch for the book come after the podcast how did that work yeah well I just did the podcast for myself I had no idea of where it might lead me I was just I was just going a bit batty really and I thought this would be an excuse it's like if you say you're going to go around and talk to people can you talk to me there normally has to be a reason otherwise they mm. probably think you're a bit weird you're just very I mean, nosy yeah I'm just <laughs> well I am very nosy but <laughs> so it kind of gave me a reason to go around I love audio and I you know I would say I love podcasts then I didn't my podcast was the first podcast I listened to I hadn't, I hadn't actually I mean obviously I listened to radio but I hadn't actually listened to a single podcast until I was editing mine which is a bit <laughs> weird I suppose so yeah I did my podcast it did fairly well especially for an independent and it was a bit of a weird one really because I've been writing since I was 19 and been shortlisted for a few awards la 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 nothing much you know these things happen you know that my god is anyone even going to notice me feeling very invisible and it's strange when you work on something where your where your heart just leads you. Sometimes it takes you to places you could never have scheduled. Like I could never have scheduled that I would have this book because I never planned to make a podcast. It was simply that life, something had happened in my life and I wanted to make sense of it. And I thought maybe other people might benefit from it. So mm. um, I think the way it worked was, so for years I tried to find an agent. No one was really interested. I mainly worked in radio and screenplays trying to sell those. And then through someone at the podcast company contacted my agent and said, I think this could be a book. Yeah. And so I had a meeting with him and, and that was kind of the start of it really, which mm. is, is a bit of a strange after all those, I mean, it's not even years, decades of trying So I'm 48 now, so I'm knocking on a bit now, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't feel knocking on, but I'm knocking on. Um, yeah. So, but it's not a position I would, I imagine myself to be in really mm. but a very nice one I wanted to touch on some of the stories that are featured in this book because as I was reading I, I made a little note to myself that some of them are almost like miniature novels in, in a way there's so much life and character in them and some of them are obviously many of them are incredibly moving some of them are really inspiring there's such variety in the story but you're essentially condensing someone's life into a chapter of your book. So how did you go about making them concise, but still compelling? I mean, I think when you, when I, so I, you know, you have this list of questions that you want to ask them, then they have a flow and you pretend when you interview people, they go around in circles, especially older people who have a lot going on in their head. They kind of talk, talk at one point, go around. So what you end up with, what I do is, I would basically do the interviews, then I'd have them transcribed. And then I'd basically just look at what I've got. Like, where are the main beats of this? Like, what is the heart of the story? Um, and sometimes the regrets people had weren't necessarily the regrets they thought you thought they'd have. And so you basically try, I just try to always have a, like a very strong beginning and a very strong end. And then just make sure I stay clear to what, you know, what really happened. Because it's so easy to kind of fictionalize something, but... Mm. most people's lives don't need fictionalizing they they have little moments in it that are grabbable enough you know you don't need to mm. be um and also part of the process was once I'd written them I would always send them back to the person I'd interviewed to make sure they're completely 100% okay with it because mm. I didn't want to misrepresent anybody in any way so 
I mean, it is quite a long process, to be honest. It's like, I mean, when I was doing the podcast, I, I would get the transcriptions and I would literally sit with a pair of scissors and I cut little bits of dialogue out and then I place them. I have little timings next to it and then I place them in line, sellotape them together and then go through on the computer and basically edit them together. And I suppose wow. I can't, yeah, it was quite laborious. <laughs> I mean, I did eight episodes and it took me eight months to do. And mostly wow. people do episodes like one a week. It's not, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah. So, and with the book, I suppose it was fairly similar. It was mm. just, I wanted it to be not just about that moment of regret. I wanted it to be about their life mm. because it's important to remember that we don't just make these decisions in isolation there's a reason why we make the decisions we make mm. and I think you know that's one of the main takeaways is you know when you feel like you haven't done well enough or you feel like a relationship didn't work or something happened and you look about what was surrounding you and the, how you got into that circumstance there's normally a reason for it there's mm. a reason why you've made this decision, the best decision you could have made at the time generally generally speaking so that's I think I just kept that in my mind and mm. um you know, I mean, and and you also want to bring people in the room, I think. That's something me and my editor talked about. There was a couple of chapters where maybe I, I didn't do that. And he was like, I think you need to make sure it's as up as every, everything else. I wanted people to read it and to imagine where we're sitting and like just little tiny little moments that would pinpoint. You don't really want to bang on forever about how someone looks. Mm. Um or, or the room you're in or you know what you can hear and what you can see but you just just a little moment that kind of makes them join because I want I want it to feel for the reader that they're sat in the room with us that they're sat next to us with a cup of tea because nearly we were always drinking tea when we were talking <laughs> to be honest and so that's what I wanted so that's that was the idea so I'm, I'm glad you think that they're filled yeah no, the <laughs> absolutely I, I totally felt like I was in the room with you and and these stories are just incredible and, and some of them like have really stayed with me and like I think the way you do it but you said to kind of mentioning a little detail about how they look or um the room you're in or a bit about where they live it just um really brings them all to life which is obviously what you want you want to bring the reader in you want them to understand this person's life and like you say contextualize their regret was it a challenge to write about real life people almost like characters because obviously you've got to know them and you want to give a full picture of their life and obviously you have to have an element of of being sensitive to their situation and like you said you sent them back what you'd written so they could check it through did you find that was a challenge to accurately portray someone and their life or did you kind of worry about that afterwards I am I didn't I, I worried about being accurate for instance, there was a the, one of the chaps I interviewed, Sid, who lost the love of his life, and he was just so honest about how he felt, about how lonely he felt, the mistakes he'd made, and he was quite, I think, quite beautifully eloquent about how you know feelings and emotions. So when someone tells you stuff like that, you you know they mean it, and mm. if they mean it, then the chances are they will, they want you to pass it along. So I can't really misrepresent that. Do you know what I mean? So. Mm. I mean, I suppose describing people in the way they are, I try to be honest, but um, you always have in the back of your mind that this person's going to read it and that this mm. is the story that's going to go out into the world about them. 
I think sometimes it's it helps when they're anonymous. If someone decides to be anonymous a little bit, they maybe hold it less less tightly mm. because they know it's them, but nobody else kind of knows it's them. And I've I found with older people, they were just very honest about the mistakes they've made. There was no kind of rehashing of it. There was basically, I wish I'd done this. What was interesting is when I sent them back the chapters. The only changes they made were very factual ones, like, no, that happened before this, or right. <laughs> their nickname was this, not this. There was no, oh, you've described me like that. It's, mm. It was quite heartening, actually. I got notes back from quite a few of them just saying, you've encapsulated it, you've really stated what happened, you know. And I feel like I got a note back from, from Heather, who helped her son die, and um, she's lovely. She's in her 80s now. She's really lovely. And she basically sent me this note and it just said, um, you, it felt like for a moment my son was alive again. And thank you. And I just, it was like, you know, it's when you open a yeah, letter and you're incredible. like, you're wondering if you're wasting your time. You're wondering mm. if anyone's interested. And, and I think with books, it's like, you know, you want everyone to read it. You want to see it everywhere. And sometimes that doesn't always happen and those little moments where someone just says you've done that that, that thing you mm. know is really special so yeah so that was a long way of saying that <laughs> I, was wor- <laughs> I was I was worried because I, I wouldn't want anyone to be upset yeah. I was worried every time I walked into someone's living room like my heart is beating so fast I'm glad that they're talking so much because sometimes I'm so nervous I'm almost unable to because the last thing I want to do is make a bad situation worse for them. Mm. But generally people want to talk, they're ready to talk, and people don't really like them talking because stuff that's happened before or the fact that they're dying and mm. other people just want, oh, just you don't want to upset them, you don't want to upset them. But actually, sometimes they want to talk about those things mm, that are like upsetting. It's un- like unburdening themselves in a way. Yeah, almost. yeah. yeah. And I think you have to be in that right space. Like I found with some people, they were like, nope, don't want to, you know, no. And they just, that's their way of dealing with it. They're in denial. They don't, they don't want to know a prognosis. They don't want to know anything. Mm. And that's completely their, you know, their thing. I know a few people that have been like that and that's how they cope. That's cool. Mm. Other people, they're like an open book and they're so ready to just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> were you surprised by how much people told you that they're, there's certain things that maybe, I don't know, maybe they shared more with you than they had done members of their family. I mean, I think when when they've got to that point, when you've, because some of them had lived with a regret for quite a long time, they'd kind of permeated on it and thought about it for a lot of years. And especially with the, with the older people, you know, it's just ready. Like it's, mm. it, 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 it's ready to come out now. And then it comes out. And some of them you could tell that they it's, it came out like a fully formed thing, as they say. It's, it, it was just building up over the years and some a stranger sits in your living room. And it just, you know, it's, well, sometimes it's safe talking to a stranger, isn't it? Because there's no personal investment in it with all the characters and the situation. So it's easier, I think. Mm. So what was it like to get people to volunteer to be interviewed then? Because I know you put up, uh letters on notice boards and and contacts with people that way and what was it a challenge to find people that wanted to open up or were you inundated with volunteers I wasn't inundated because I didn't really 
I mean, I put on a few notices up on local charity boards and stuff like that, but I didn't really get much response in that way. It was more the people I directly, you know, like I'd, like I'd find them posting about something online and then I'd send them a little note about what I was doing. Would they be interested in talking to me or friends of friends or, you know, people you'd heard about or there might be like a snippet in the newspaper talking about one thing and my brain would connect it with, hmm, that sounds like that. You know, why would mm. they react that way? I wonder if there's something else going on here. And then... <laughs> And then, so it was, it's quite time consuming. Mm. Um, and also the thing of wanting a mixture of stories. Like I wanted, I basically just sat down before I started and I said, right, what, what are the important things in life? Like, and that's where the chapter, you know, there's like it's split up in segments, like hard decisions and love and work and family. So, and I'm thinking right within those, what are there, you know? And then you kind of go, right, what's, and then you kind of just put your, yeah so um but you obviously always keeping in mind that not everybody's going to want to talk and that I really didn't want to upset anybody um but generally I mean people didn't seem to be upset they were pleased to be asked and when they got a copy of the book afterwards they said they're honored to be in it which is mm. like a tick as far as I'm concerned like if nothing else happens in, in my life like that's you know a good thing you know mm. <laughs> something to be proud of I think anyway but not, we're not very good at patting ourselves on the back as writers <laughs> no, actual, so. <laughs> do you know what I mean like the work itself we can be so critical of mm. but the human emotional stuff I, I that's the one bit I can take and go yes <laughs> okay yeah I mean there's no big there's no bigger compliment when you, when you write a book that's so personal like this and people write back to you and, and say how moved they were or say how much that meant to them to be included I mean particularly for people who maybe are facing a terminal illness to to know they're living on I suppose in your words must be must be an incredible honor yeah completely yeah and especially for the ones who who have um children Mm. um there was a few of them who have got children Libby and Katie who's already died Anthea who's already died and um yeah it's like so I sent copies so their kids could have a copy as well and mm. yeah if they want it you know well I asked if they wanted it they did want it so it's just like just because lots of the time they're talking about their love for their families and their love for their kids and um, sometimes that stuff can be hard to capture. I was wondering how obviously the the book has given you some I guess life lessons about about life and about dying how has it changed your perspective on dying from talking to these people? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I mean, there are a couple of things I've learned about dying, which I didn't know before. The one that gave me gave me goose bumps when he told me is one chapter where I talked to two chaplains and one's religious one's humanist and the religious chap because he's he sits there more at the end with people he would talk about how guilty people felt about not being there at the end that they they'd been there for you know sitting next to their loved one for a week and they go out to get a cup of tea and then that's Mm. the point where somebody dies and he just said sometimes that's a an absolute conscious decision on the dying person they feel comfortable in the situation they're in now and they know that they're loved and they actually want some privacy. It's a private moment to them. And that's why it's quite common that people drift. And I know when he told me, like, give me your self response now. When he told me, I just thought, God, that's just, I know so many people that feel so guilty about mm. not being there at that final moment. And they beat them. Why did I, why didn't I drive quicker? Why didn't I do? And to know, I think, just to know that that was not always the case, that, that a lot of time in his experience, and he's seen hundreds and hundreds, mm. you know, being a hospice chaplain, he's seen hundreds of people die, you know, if not more than that. So, you know, just the, the idea that people can set that aside. So I think for myself, that was just like a really big learning thing that I kept in my head. Most of the other stuff I learned was more about living. It was definitely more about living than about dying, really. It's about kind of making not necessarily making the most of it life as in a dashing around kind of thing, but like listening to people's regrets over and over and from different people in different scenarios that just seem to be a pattern basically to them. Mm-hmm. So it's like in life, try and avoid these and then you'll probably end up with a less regretful life. So it's like doing things um, to make other people happy, trying to live up to other people's expectations and trying to rewrite history. And that's one I've kind of told a couple of people about and have written about it in the ending chapter. It's, it's that whole idea that, um, so like you grew up without much money or you grew up without much love, then that tends to be the box you want to fill. That's the one you really, really concentrate on. And that sometimes means the pen- pendulum swings too far in another way. You didn't have any money, so you work incredibly hard, get loads of money, and then you realize the next generation comes along and they say, well, it's great we've got all this money, but I didn't really see much of you. So the pendulum mm. swings again. I think if there's some way we can just go, actually, what do I want? What will make me happy and content? Um, so it's kind of life lessons like that. And I mean, talking to people, it does make you think about your own life. I mean, that was the reason why I did it in the first place to kind of go, well, what, 
what things do I regret because I regretted so much in all honesty I just felt like a big failure in all honesty like I'd nearly died I felt like I'd been given a second chance and I hadn't really gone for it and then like 10 years had gone and I drifted and I just wanted to kind of find out what other people regretted so that I could kind of grasp it and get on with it and I wasn't sure if that would happen really because I just became interested in other people rather than I kind of forgot about myself but in the process I I made loads of changes I decided to um, end my marriage it was a 22 year relationship so it was incredibly hard but actually very amicable <laughs> in the end the very best of things um, yeah I wasn't I'd got myself very unhealthy I'd been kind of self-medicating with twiglets and tonics tea cakes and everything I could possibly find so I decided to kind of focus on that and look after my body a bit more I mean listening to other people talking about their bodies that are no longer working in the way they want I think it's a privilege that people forget people wake, wake up in the morning and their brain is working their hands work everything works they don't even think about it and then you go and meet people and they went yeah last year that was and this year it isn't and I can't do that anymore and it makes you realize it it's something that so many people take for granted and I didn't want to be one of those people anymore I didn't want to mm take how I, how I functioned for granted I wanted to make the most of it I have a healthy body I'm very lucky that way so that was another thing um, and there's a few other little things but it basically changed the, the shape of shape of my life as it were and so and from that I suppose I think people always ask me like what's the main three takeaways and I think they'd probably be to be honest about things be honest with yourself because um, if you're not honest, you, you, you have a roadmap, you don't know, you know, what do you want to, what do you want the building blocks to be? You know, what do you want to do with your life? Does your job make you happy or content? Any moments of it, it's not all going to make you happy or content, but is your relationship really what you want it to be? You know, all these different things that make up our lives, be honest about it and basically change what you don't like and um, really appreciate what you do. So that's the two things I've really been trying to concentrate on because yeah because we don't it's that whole thing when they, when you look about the dying you don't none of us know how long we have and that sounds so maudlin and just like oh god it's just oh my god you're gonna start panic buying in life now I'm gonna do everything <laughs> all at once but it is a reality you know we don't quite know how long we have or how long our health will last us actually um, people put things off until retirement and how many people do you meet and then they got to a certain age and they're just about to retire and then everything starts going a bit wonky mm. and you're like, you can't do, you can't do that. You know what I mean? Like all those things mm. you had backed up, you need to have been doing it as you were living, you know, as part of your life and stop putting things off because I don't know if you do this, Chloe, but there are so many things I put off. Like when I was bigger, I wouldn't go swimming. I lived up from a beach. I wouldn't go swimming. This is ridiculous. I should have just gone swimming. Why didn't I go swimming? It's, <laughs> I had the most beautiful beach down the road for me when I lived in New Zealand. And I basically would hardly ever went there. It's just nuts. It was like I was waiting until I was that size or, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I was waiting until I've written something I thought was just 100 and then everyone would love it. And you realise that that's just not how, how life works. You have to just crack, crack on, crack on in small ways and in big ways, just, mm. you know, but anyway, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I think about so, this stuff a lot now, obviously, but <laughs> of course. Are you hopeful that readers will take similar sort of lessons from your book as well? I hope so, yeah. I don't I definitely hope so. And that's the feedback I've had so far. Mm. I was worried because it is talking about people's regrets and their die, you know, them looking at dying and people talking very honestly about what that feels like, that people might get this, they might go away with this, oh God, it's a bit depressing, but that's not what they seem to be going away with. I think mm-hmm. life affirming and inspiring were the two yeah, ones, most, yeah. So, and that, if that's the case, then I'm, I'm really happy. Mm. Um, when I was recording the audio book, which I was just so nervous about, I was like, my heart was racing every day. Oh my God. But anyway, I, when I was reading the final chapter, it's a, I remember when I wrote it and my editor just went, a rallying cry. And I'm like, yes, but I want to be. And then when I read it out loud, the producer went, she opened the booth door and she went, a rallying cry. And I'm oh, like, wow. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what you want. And like you say, it is, it is sad. There are some really sad stories in there. Um, you know, certain ones that did move me and made me cry. But I did feel at the end of it really uplifted because I think, A, it's important for people to air their feelings in that way because I think we are we don't we're not so good at being honest like you say and I think if we can all learn that one thing from this book is that there are things that are difficult in life but being honest about them does help and gets you to a point where you get a life hopefully one that you want um and I did I did feel that that your book was life-affirming like you said I I don't think people should go into it thinking oh it's going to be depressing or upsetting because obviously it's there are parts of it that are really sad but I think we can all learn something from the stories within it as well so you've mentioned you've done screenwriting and uh, approached agents before so did you always think you would write non-fiction or did that come as a bit of a surprise to you I was completely surprised beyond really I'd never had any inclination well I think when I was really young I did have an idea of maybe being a journalist or work I don't know where I got this idea from I I remember at one point I was thinking oh it'd be cool to be like working at CNN or ABC (laughs) or something like that and then someone I worked with this older guy who'd done he'd been a camera op for one of these these three three acronym places and he he told me some horror stories of unethical proportions and I just thought no no (laughs) can't do it you know what I mean I'm like when I edit stuff out if if even if I can change a connecting word I'll highlight it put it in bold so people know what I've changed so that they can double check it so the things he was telling me no um so yeah so for years it'd been it'd been fiction I had no idea not until I'd done the podcast and it's weird now really because I'm writing some more fiction again but it is a bit of a shift like I found it a little little bit of a it's kind of I don't know it's quite hard because it's such a different way of writing Hmm. Um, I'm writing on a screenplay at the moment that I've gone back to and being on final draft and working on that rather than just word or just a whole different you know you've got the big print you've got the dialogue it's just so completely different so it's Hmm. really lovely but there's a part of me that's like god I really hope I can still do this because I just love (laughs) film and telly so much so I was wondering whether you could share with us a little bit about your writing process for this book how did you fit it into your everyday life? And by the sounds of it, it was a very long project. So how long did you spend writing it? How many years was this a project for? Oh, 
the actual writing was it was a year yeah it was a year um, mm. a couple of the stories are from the podcast but major vast majority are, are completely new um so to be honest with you when I'm actually writing writing the chapter I can I can I write them quite I can write them quite quickly um I tend to so I do set up the interviews have them transcribed read right through the transcription highlight then I kind of just let it percolate for a little bit I'll go on a long walk I'll go walking for like four or five hours and then I'll sit down and then the structure kind of makes itself known and then you write that down and hope that works and then compile it all together compile what the person said and then it's then it's just kind of molding it into something cohesive that you think people would like to read mm. really so but the actual process the kind of getting it getting a deal was longer actually the getting the deal was really quick um the getting getting it's so getting the prop to a state where my agent actually liked it enough to, to put his name to it was a very long process <laughs> very long process that nearly sent me insane um but yeah it, it went out in the end and actually yeah so but the, the writing was a, a year I think September 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 just was done um and it was lovely actually because I wasn't quite sure what what this is the wrong word to use but interference there'll be from the publisher but basically once mm. I'd written the first couple of chapters which was already really in my prop as a sample chapter um it was like he just went okay well, I'll, I'll speak to you in a year and I was off. oh wow. yeah I know I know <laughs> I mean because I don't know I, I know you you know heaps of writers much, you know many more than I do have you ever seen a prop for a non-fiction book because it's quite a different thing. no I'm I'm really fascinated with the whole process really because um I've spoken to um a couple of non-fiction writers and the the proposal side of it is a, a completely different way of going through the uh submission process because like you basically have to not write the book before you send it out but you, you're you're giving them a, this this amazing proposal and then you're just kind of they just say okay write it whereas for for fiction writers you have to have written the whole book yeah. and then they give you the thumbs up yeah you know? yeah it's very different I mean I think it's probably a lot harder for fiction really because you have to do all of the heavy lifting and it's weird actually because the, so the props are about 40 to 60 pages long they're big and the majority of stuff in there you're never going to use basically but it kind of which I didn't really realise at the time, it makes you work out exactly what the book is. It kind of forces you into that. And in it, you have to write about marketing. And sorry if I'm repeating myself from what other people have said, but right. you write you no. write about marketing. Yeah, you so basically you have like an what it what the book is, how you imagine it to be, um, why you're the person that should write it, marketing, who you can see reading it, and comparable titles. So all the different other titles mm. around around that have done. Obviously, you pick the ones that have done really well because otherwise you're not going to make ones. <laughs> I love this book, but it only sold three copies. My book's going to be like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it's like sample, then chapter outlines and then sample chapter. Uh, or, or I think I did two right. or three sample chapters just so, so that you could do it. So once, mm. once um, so I, my agent pitched, pitched them out and basically we had a couple of offers, few offers. And then I spoke to um, editor at Welbeck, Ollie, and he was just, I just felt like what he wanted was what I wanted. Because I think in the prop, it had exactly what I didn't want in it. It had, over the years of us working on it, 
it had been almost like my story was in each chapter, which made me feel so right. uncomfortable. To be I don't know how it ended mm. up that way. And Ollie was just like, we're going to take you out. I want you to just focus on yourself in the beginning and the end. How do you feel about that? And I went very relieved, <laughs> very relieved indeed. It was like, his, well, it's worked very yeah, well. Yeah, It's like his vision was the same. And I think as an author, like you want someone to like it, you want mm. someone to love it and you want someone to have, you know, to take it on and for you to find a home for it. But you've also got to have the same vision for it. Absolutely. You know I, mean? yeah. I think that that's important for, for fiction and nonfiction. I mean, you've got to have your agent on board. You've got to have an editor that sees the book the same way you see it. You don't want them to turn it into something that the book isn't to you. Otherwise it, it takes away that heart and soul of the, the book, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it's a good thing you found an editor that saw your book with the same vision. So are you able to share with us, you've already given us some great writing advice already about how you organise your transcripts and chop up bits and put them together again. But can you give us your top three tips for anyone who's um, attempting to write or is writing nonfiction at the moment? So I would say um, never lose your conscience. Always do something that you're proud of and... Um, don't do it just for telling a good story. You've got to make sure there's human beings involved and never lose sight of that. Um, I would say, remember that you're trying to bring the reader into the room. So give them little moments that will kind of anchor them where you are and, and bring them in. Sit them down, make sure they're having that cup of tea with you. Um, and the same as fiction, really. That's, it's as much about you what you put in as what you take out and what as much of what, what you take out as you put in. So... Um, as kind of a, like a balance to be had. If you give people too many story strands within one story, they, they don't know what to grab hold of. So try to keep the message quite clear and not mm. too cluttered. That's say. great. Finally, and we've touched on it a bit already, but are you able to share what you're writing on next? What you're working on next, sorry? Well, I've just finished the prop for book two and I'm really hoping it will find a home because I'm rather in love with it um and a couple of just a screenplay and um hopefully a afternoon play for radio four but that won't be till the end of the year if they commission it which they should i hope they will there you go i'm putting it <laughs> let's out hope there. so yeah let's, put, <laughs> let's put, put some good luck in the world uh, well congratulations georgina and um i'm fingers crossed for the radio four play and Thank congratulations you. on regrets of the dying brilliant thanks so much chloe that was georgina skull talking about her narrative non-fiction book regrets of the dying which is out now and available to buy thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already it'd be great if you could leave me a review see you next time planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.